Locked On NBA. The biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories across the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we go to Sacramento to speak with Matt George of Locked On Kings about the firing of Luke Walton. We go to Kuka Hill from Locked On Pistons about the Isaiah Stewart, LeBron James incident, if there are suspensions incoming, and our thoughts on that in general. And then lastly, we speak with new Locked On Sixers host, Serena Winters, about Tyrese Maxey's breakout, the Ben Simmons trade scenario, and Joel Joel Embiid's return. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi guys, and welcome back to another Monday. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I also host the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, and I'm the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. We've got lots to talk about in the NBA. Thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, and we've got shows to cover whatever your favorite team is, whether that's in the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, whatever your favorite team is, we have a Locked On show to help cover it for you. So let's, uh, let's get stuck into this straight away. And let's bring him in, Matt George from the Locked On Kings podcast. So here he is, the host of the Locked On Kings podcast. Matt George is here. Matt, I could ask you a question that I'm sure you don't know the answer to, but what is the difference between firing Luke Walton 17 games into this season versus doing it in May? Uh, as in May as in of The May this, that just passed, uh, yeah, 2021. May 2021. Um, the difference is that you would have had an entire offseason to undergo a, a legitimate coaching surge when there were legitimate candidates out there. So you didn't have to worry about uh, going through this coaching saga, this coaching carousel, restarting the ride up again, while in the midst of a season that you, and I'm using you as, as Monty McNair, general manager of the Kings and, and the Kings front office and really ownership as well. You've labeled this season, a playoffs or bust type season and now you're undermining that focus that has already been questionable with a, another, not just mid-season coaching change, early, early season coaching change. Um, I'm not a fan of the move, not necessarily because of Luke Walton. I'm sure we'll get into this more because of how the Kings are continuing a, a horrific pattern uh, that has been set over the last 15-plus uh, seasons. And uh, this is just another example of questionable, poor, embarrassing decision-making uh, by the Sacramento Kings organization. Oh, look, it, it's it's dreadful. There's no, like, getting around this because, as you said, you, you know, Luke Walton probably should have been hired. All right, we can't, we can't go back and change it. After year one, didn't look great. All right, he's got a couple of years left on his contract. And then after year two, it just looked terrible. Like, he just performed poorly. This is not his role to be an NBA head coach. It's not for him, and that's fine. He can be an NBA assistant head coach. But then, to as you said... Like, uh, they're cheap and they don't want to pay him out. What's the difference now, three months later, when, again, you don't have the opportunity to go and hire a Wes Unseld Jr., Jamal Mosley, who's doing such great things in Orlando with that young group. You don't have that opportunity. You just got to promote whoever your lead assistant is. They don't have the opportunity to bring in their own staff, their own scheme, their own ideas. Gentry's just going to be running basically the same thing that Walton did because that's what they've been doing for the last three months. So nothing really is going to change that much in season. Yes, you know, maybe it gives you a leg up on other candidates that might appear throughout the season. But you know, Gentry's going to have this chance to prove himself now when you didn't go through a legitimate coaching search. So none of it... I ask you that question, you know, what's the difference? I know what the difference is. It's a good organization versus a bad organization as to when you make those mm. decisions. And making it at this point is is ludicrous. Like what, what tipped the scales? Because 
I, I know from an outside perspective that he wasn't cut out for this job and I could have told you that 18 months ago, if not earlier. I'm sure you have your thoughts on how Walton succeeded as a coach, but what tipped the scales that this weekend, this is this is the time that he's got to go? Well, actually, before I get to that too, something that you were talking about, it, it, it pings something in my brain and the brain of many who follow the Sacramento Kings organization or have followed this organization for the last eight plus years that owner Vivek Ranadive has has been in control here in Sacramento, and that's who is making the decision. If if Monty McNair is truly making the decision this this upcoming offseason, or the, I'm sorry, this this past offseason, to commit to Luke Walton. Luke Walton is his guy going forward, which is very strange when a new general manager comes in and inherits an old coach. You typically don't see that too often. So if that truly is Monty McNair's decision, how, after just a couple of months and 16 or however many games into the season, how does that change that drastically? It leaves the door open continually for speculation that it wasn't fully Monty McNair's decision to begin with. We know Vivek Ranadive has gotten involved in decision-making in the past. We know he's implemented advisors like currently Joe Dumars is there in the past. We also know the financial situation um, with, with the Sacramento Kings organization, how much money they lost during COVID uh, and how that has an effect. Plus, even before COVID started, we know that minority Sacramento Kings owners, many of which just sold their shares, were not happy with the Kings consistently and constantly paying former head coaches that that had yet to be fired um so you're what you were saying there brought that to mind but really what was the i guess the straw that broke the camel's back i don't necessarily know if there was one i mean i, I said um coming into this season that i thought if, if the kings don't make the playoffs luke walton is more than certainly gone I said that if, if Walton and the Kings go through another nine-game losing streak, which they had two separate ones last season, then then he was more than likely gone on the spot. But it it, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, why now? I mean, I, I get it. Like, if you want to make him your fall guy, that's fine. Except nobody in Sacramento with a basic IQ and a brain is buying that Luke Walton was the main problem with this organization. Partial problem, sure. He had questionable rotation decisions. Uh, he his his offensive schemes, his defensive schemes. Like there were things that Luke Walton did uh, and tried to implement that simply didn't work. Signs of a, a a poor coach. But this team is also filled with holes from a roster standpoint. There's been questionable decision making from front office and even higher up from ownership for over i mean for almost a decade here now in sacramento so it's it's the biggest issue that i have with this entire thing josh is that coaches are so often made out to be fall guys and i think the biggest thing that i wanted to make sure to express on locked on kings and here on locked on nba is that i will not allow luke walton to be the fall guy for players and ownership that don't deserve it there are much bigger problems than Luke Walton here in this organization. So what changed? I guess it was convenient with the Kings losing games to to get rid of one guy to say that they're making steps forward or actually making a change when one needs to happen, when in reality it's not the main change that needs to happen, at least in my opinion. So do you think that there is a chance that this, you know, you talk about convenience of like, okay, well, we're getting smashed in these games at the moment. Someone's got to take the fall. Is it a way to take the heat off, say an underperforming max contract point guard who may not be playing up to the level that he has in the past? To me, this adds more heat to it because you have to understand Dave Yeager, who was also the head coach of this core, he was fired and he was fired for not 
getting along with this core. Now, we didn't hear too much about any kind of fractured relationship with, with him and, and De'Aaron Fox. It was more Buddy Heald uh, and, and Marvin Bagley at the time. But the overall point is, you had this head coach in Dave Yeager who was fired because he, he I guess, failed with this exact same core that got the players coach, their guy in Luke Walton, who they still like to this day. Luke never lost the Kings locker room. That's a very important thing to note here. The players did not quit on Walton at all, even if they weren't playing successfully. Um, they never quit on Walton and still that guy got fired. They weren't good enough for that guy. So now there's, I think, extra heat on De'Aaron Fox and that core as a whole. There's been two separate coaches that have come through here, and there are a lot of similarities in their philosophy between the two coaches. A great example is like Buddy Heald being a bench player instead of being a starter. Uh, and and two guys have failed. Two guys haven't worked. Uh, I don't think it takes heat off of De'Aaron Fox at all, and I think as now Alvin Gentry takes over, as, as fans are going to see and as people who follow the Kings are going to see, I don't expect this team to get any better. This is not going to be a Nate McMillan Atlanta Hawks last season situation in Sacramento. This team's not going to suddenly turn things around because Luke Walton is gone. Alvin Gentry's not going to come here and, like you said earlier, reinvent the wheel. He has pretty similar philosophies to what Luke Walton uh, had. And, and Luke, when or when we found out that Alvin Gentry was joining Luke, the idea was that Gentry was going to take over the offense and Luke could kind of focus on the defense. Well, the offense to me, has been just as bad as the defense unless the Kings are getting out in transition. The half-court offense has been dreadful. So you mean to tell me that Alvin Gentry now being in charge, he's going to suddenly change so many things that everything's going to click for this Kings team and suddenly they're going to be back into the playoff picture like we were all hoping? Uh, give me a break. Yeah, I said the same thing on Locked On Fantasy today. Like, don't expect interim coaches to come in and everything's going to be different. The whole offensive scheme, the rotations, not, it's going to be basically the same. There'll be some small tweaks, maybe integrated. Maybe they play one or two possessions faster per game. Maybe they don't. Who knows? It's not like they were down the bottom of the league in pace. I think they were 10th or 11th before uh, today's games. So it's not like there's going to be this wholesale. And it's, it's impossible to do. Like, you're on the road. Like, you're traveling the whole time. You don't have practices. You can't just say, well, all right. I was here sitting with Luke um, and I disagree with everything he said, but now it's my turn to show you everything because that's not how coaching works. It wasn't like Luke was saying, I'm doing this and all you other guys get stuff that don't care what you say. And they all worked on that together. So it's just going to be more of the same thing with just marginal sort of tweaks, I, I would guess. So it isn't, yeah, while the, the front office slash ownership might think that it's this defining move that saves things, I, I'm with you. I, I don't really think it changes that much, but it is going to be interesting. Tomorrow, we get the first game with Elvin Gentry in charge or Monday, depending on when you're listening to this. Matt, you'll cover it all for us over on the Locked On Kings podcast. Thanks for coming on Locked On NBA with me. I wish it was under better circumstances, but hey, we're used to this here in Sacramento. I don't know why head coach number 11 since 2006 will be different, but hey, flip a coin. Maybe this time it'll work. At some point, uh, some point it's got to come up heads. Thanks, Matt. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. You're going to love this. Price Picks is the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, offering more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as the bench players who only get a handful of minutes. Price Picks is really easy to do. You just pick four to five different players, choose their props, over-unders, points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, um, threes, fantasy points, whatever it is. Put four or five of those together and it's just you versus the projected numbers and pick over-under and you can win up to 10 times your entry fee. When you go to sign up, use the promo code NBA and you can get a 100% match deposit bonus up to $100. You can also do mixed sport. You can throw a basketball over-under in with like LeBron over-under points, Patrick Mahomes over-under touchdowns. You can throw those together into the one entry. 
They can be made in under 60 seconds, the entries, and withdrawals are safe and fast. So don't hesitate. Check out pricepicks.com and use the promo code NBA or go to your app store and download the app today. PricePix is daily fantasy made easy. We all know this uh, problem. We have live TV, which we watch in one spot. We have our on-demand shows in another. We watch our highlights on our phone. And then we also have our friends' um, logins for all of the other good stuff. It's just too much stuff. It's too much clutter. There's too many things all over the place. I want to tell you a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. And it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again and the best part there is no annual contract so get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your tv together with direct tv stream you can learn more at directtv.com that's directtv.com compatible device required and content varies by package a little more likely to i'm going to bring in the host of the locked on pistons podcast it is Koo kahil Koo, welcome uh, to locked on nba thank you for having me man so it was a pretty fiery uh, situation there in Detroit on this Sunday game. The Pistons were up big, and in the end, they let the Lakers get back into things. Now, I don't know how how you how you viewed this incident, but let let us know what what's your what's your under, not understanding. What's your take on the situation that did go down between LeBron and Isaiah Stewart? Um, it 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 definitely was crazy. Like, funny thing is, is that I was outside walking my dog. I literally she had to go to the bathroom. I'm like, okay, I'll be back in five minutes. I come back in. And I see players getting set. I'm like, bro, what what happened? I was gone for five minutes, so I had to rewind the whole thing and watch it again. But it was it, it was a dirty shot from LeBron. I I really heavily disagree with anyone who says it wasn't intentional. Um, he had a closed fist, quite literally. He closed his fist up and looked at Isaiah Stewart and swung down at him. Um, the only thing I feel like you could pay, maybe say that wasn't intentional was him hitting him in the eye. But he very clearly was swinging at Isaiah Stewart, so maybe he didn't. Meet, maybe he meant to hit him in the chest or like the arm. But either way, it was intentionally thrown at Isaiah Stewart. Now, so like I, I really don't. I, I heavily disagree with anyone who thinks it wasn't intentional. But um, it definitely was a crazy play. Um, Isaiah Stewart absolutely lost it, but I can't. I can't really blame him either. Uh, once he felt, I, I think because like. After it happened, they kind of like face to face with each other. You can see Stu was pissed, but he hadn't went full rage yet. But I, I think what happened was once he had the blood go through his eye, and Lily was all over his teeth. It got into his mouth and everything. Like he was gushing. So once he like Lily was tasting blood, I feel like that's when he was just like, "Bro, I'm like, bro, he he done punched me. I'm bleeding," and he like he just lost it. So I I mean, the mature person probably would be like, "Hey, you gotta calm down," but like I can't I can't really blame him. Like losing it. Here's my. You don't have to disagree with me because I do agree with a few of the things you said there because I do think it was intentional from LeBron. Um, there are people who argue. Um, first of all, it wasn't his elbow; it was closed fist. Um, secondly, they he wasn't didn't have his arm held. When you look at the, the vision, LeBron's arm is on top of Isaiah Stewart. Stewart's forearm is pushed into LeBron's chest to push him off on a uh, box out. LeBron's arm's on top. He looks down and he swings. I do agree with you that I think probably his intention was to hit him but to hit him in the chest or arm and swing down. It's just that Stewart's head was sort of tilted down as he was pushing away. His head was in that position. But I've got no doubt that LeBron definitely swung that arm recklessly with intention to to hit into Stewart, not his face. I wouldn't have thought that. LeBron is not a dirty player, and I'm not suggesting he's a dirty player. This was a dirty incident, though, and throwing a closed fist, and if it, 
you throw a closed fist and it smacks someone in the face and cuts them open, then that's a dirty incident. Like you, you didn't, you weren't just wildly swinging your arm for no reason. He was doing it for a purpose. He almost definitely didn't mean to smash him in the face, but he did. And that's what happens. Um, as for the Stuart part of things, Koo, I, I disagree a little bit with you there. I think that when he got hit, he got up and he remonstrated. That is 100% understandable everyone would do it and that is what's expected and you don't receive any sort of problem for that from going in getting you know pulled back you're going at him trying to, to remonstrate that's fine it's the like crazy sprint down the field knocking officials over you know bulldozing people 30 seconds 90 two minutes after the incident actually happened which is more calculated where like okay you had a little bit of time to simmer down but you don't do that sort of thing like play hey i'm cool and then like just bowl over a whole bunch of guys standing in the middle of the court that to me is probably going to land him in trouble not anything to do with going after lebron after the incident because that is totally justified and not one person would have an issue look you get smashed in the face you get cut open you get up you try and grab the guy even if you had a swing at him or put him in a headlock or whatever i think most people go all right fair enough like you got cracked in the head but he got up he did that a bunch of people got in between they separated and then he just charged and steamrolled what four or five people just throwing them all over the court including gay cutting yeah like that that that's that's the part that i think no you can't do that sort of thing you can be angry and you can do that but you cannot do that level we cannot show that level of Uncontrol, which is not really a proper sentence, but you, you can't have that much of a lack of control, especially when it's not literally right as the incident happened. You've had time to talk and calm down, and you and you have calmed down, and then you go back and do that. That was reckless on his behalf. I think both guys are going to cop suspensions. What do you think the NBA is going to come down disciplinary wise? Um, I actually don't know. I mean, I don't know if LeBron would get a suspension because he's LeBron. I think oh, he might to. get a game or two. Uh, maybe I think he, I, I if I had to make a prediction, I think he gets one. That, I think LeBron will get one game, and I think Stu will probably because the Pistons play the Lakers again in a week. Mm. I don't think they want Stu on the same floor as with LeBron. That's going to be my assumption in a week from now. So I think he'll get four games probably at least four games. He might get like <laughs> four to eight maybe. There's no way. Um, but <laughs> there's no way he's getting four games. You think he's gonna they're gonna just suspend him so he doesn't play against the ball? If he gets four games for that, I, I there is. I don't think you can justify it in that, like, oh, we don't want them to play against... I, maybe you're right. I think that would be insane that the retaliatory player who didn't actually lay a punch or anything like that would get four to five times the amount of the instigator of the of the incident. That would be crazy to me if that happened. Well, I think the thing is, is like you were pointing out, is that, like... <laughs> He literally was like bulldozing. Yeah, that, like, that's true. He, he literally knocked down like I believe an official, a few security guards, his own teammate. Like he went back like four times to try to get him, and then also, like after they finally got him like towards the tunnel, I I was credentialed at LCA the first year. He what Isaiah Stewart was doing, he took off back through the tunnel so he could loop around and get back to the Lakers tunnel. So he could meet LeBron back there. Like once he realized, okay, they're going, they're, they got me stuck back here. I might as well find a different way to get to him. And he literally, I don't know if you saw it, but he literally took off through the tunnel and just like started running. There's like seven people chasing him back through the tunnel. So he definitely lost it. So I think they'll get him hard for that. Also, I just want to say, I thought it was absolutely hilarious that like Mason, our announcer in the background, if you're listening, he's literally in the mic screaming, don't throw nothing. Do not throw anything. Do not charge the court. Like doing everything he can to avoid another mouse at the palace. He's the entire time you just hear him in the background screaming, don't throw anything on the floor. It was funny. It was listening to it. It was pretty wild scenes there. Um, It's going to be really interesting to see how the NBA rules this because we know, we know who LeBron is. Everyone knows LeBron and his status in the game, but this is undeniably an act that, 
if anyone else did it, no one would have any any hesitation in saying they deserve a suspension. Yeah, plenty of people will say LeBron deserves a suspension, but people also have the thoughts like you saying, well, I'm not sure because he's LeBron. So it'll be very interesting to see how they handle it. And then also that response from Isaiah Stewart, it's going to be pretty key over the next, um, you know, well, the next 24 hours or so when we hear that. Outside of that coup, like, you know, got you here, might as well just talk a minute or two of Pistons basketball. What do you make of the uh, the late game execution from Detroit in a game that they were up by uh, what, 15, 17 points in the fourth quarter? I think you're. I feel like you're doing this on purpose. I feel like you did. I, I feel like that last that question right there. You specifically worded it in a in a purposeful manner. Um, the last play of the game was. Oh awful. my god! Yeah. <laughs> the last play of the game was one. Is it was so bad. Uh, but the overall stretch in the fourth quarter, it was really bad. Kate Cunningham even came out, uh, and usually he says all the right things. Like he's the kind of guy. Like he's the quarterback like of the NFL, like the, the dude who just comes out, he's going to say all the nice things, the right things for his team, whatever. Um, but like literally he came out and said, you know, everyone was too, everyone's confident in their own shot. And that's what happened in the, in the fourth quarter. So, and I've said this multiple times with the Pistons too. They have too many guys trying to expand their game at once. They have too many hands in the cookie jar, too many people trying to do their own thing. And for the first three quarters, they, they were playing excellent basketball, moving the ball. And then the fourth quarter, it went back to stagnant and went back to isolation, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Trey Lyles spearheaded that. Like, his three-minute stretch in the fourth quarter, like, destroyed the Pistons and all momentum they had. It was bad. Uh, but, yeah, the, the overall fourth quarter play was just really bad. A lot of stagnant offense. Uh, I don't blame them defensively against AD because they didn't have no one after Stu got ejected. He Literally, their tallest guy is Jeremy Grant, 6'8", so they don't have no one else. So I don't blame that, but not being able to score definitely falls back on them being stagnant. But the last play of the game, Awful, awful play design. You asked Hamadou Diallo to make a pass that basically LeBron James is the only player who could possibly ever make. It, it just wasn't going to happen. Well, so The thing is that there might have actually been a player on that court who could have made that pass. Unfortunately, he just didn't touch the ball. Like, you're getting okay. Hamadou Diallo to make that pass. Like, just put the ball in Cade Cunningham's hands, whether that's to create a pass like that or just to get the shot off. Surely that's the move rather than Diallo, who is, uh, to put it kindly, Ku, not known for his passing. Um, it's 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 a it's a curious decision there. I just uh, some of the offense, and you know, I don't think Jeremy Grant listens to this uh, podcast. So I'm pretty sure you can call him out for a, a million long two ISOs in that fourth quarter, while Kate took like two shots, which were both there blocked by Anthony Davis in about a 30 second span. Yeah. Um, it was curious then now whether that's deliberate, like hey, look how good we are, but we still lose and, and get the extra ping pong ball type of strategy. I don't know, but it was pretty ugly down there. There was ugly incidents all over the game. I guess there are positives for the Pistons fans to take out of it. Kate Cunningham's first triple double and really uh, taking it up to the Lakers for three quarters, but a disappointing end. Ku, uh, you'll have it all covered for us over on the Locked On Pistons podcast. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Absolutely. Thanksgiving is just around the corner. You know it's about family, but it's also about food, delicious food. But unfortunately, so much of that food, especially the desserts, are full of calories and sugar. So it's a perfect time to introduce a new holiday family tradition and have Bilt Bar for dessert. Bilt Bar is something you can have this delicious. And instead of those slices of pies, which is 400 calories plus, you get a Bilt Bar, 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar and packed full of protein. These are low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat and high-protein bars covered in 100% real chocolate. Built is a great option for when you're hungry and if Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go get yourself a Bilt Bar right now. Taste all the delicious flavors, including all the new ones they've got out on their website and that website is built.com. And if you go there now, there's Black Friday sales coming, but you can also just get 15% off straight away by using the code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 at built.com. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. 
Okay, so let's bring in now the new host of the Locked On 76ers podcast, Serena Winters. Welcome to Locked On NBA. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here. Love serving up content to Sixers fans, and it's great to be part of the Locked On Network. There's a lot of stuff to talk about with the Philadelphia 76ers. Let's start with probably the biggest positive, I guess, to come out of this season where there's been so much weird stuff going on behind the scenes. But uh, Tyrese Maxey has looked awesome as the starting point guard. For the Sixers, he's on a massive hot streak at the moment. It doesn't appear like he can really miss at any point. He's sort of carrying this team through the absences of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid at the moment. The play of Tyrese Maxey here uh, to begin this season, do you think that it's changed any of the calculations in terms of what Daryl Morey would be looking for in a Simmons return or make them more comfortable with sitting Ben Simmons out with just how well he's been playing? I think it has to because you have a guy, like you said, the one bright spot so far of the Sixers season has really been his development. And I think the Sixers knew the potential of Tyrese Maxey, but no one expected the production that he is giving to be sustainable this soon for this long. You know, if you watch the NBA playoffs last season, you got to see in the last playoff series, you got to see Tyrese Maxey. But at the same time, you didn't know if that was sustainable for play this season. The fact that it has been has to at some point change your way of thinking a little bit, right? Or make you, like you said, a little more likely to wait it out, sit it out a little while because you are seeing what you're getting from Tyrese. At this point, it doesn't feel like you have to be so much in a hurry for the Tyrese role, as, as an example, right? The point guard role. Yes, though, the Sixers still need bodies. They still need perimeter shooting. So there's still a huge need. I feel like the Sixers have to get something done. But Maxi has been such a huge bright spot. And without him, I mean, I don't know how they would even be playing some of these games. Yeah, they wouldn't be anywhere near where they are without no. him at the moment. They're currently hanging around in the playoff He's pitcher. shooting 52.52% right now from the field. I mean, 42.1% yeah. from three. And he's he's... The thing I love the most about him, Josh, and I'm sure you've noticed this, is, look, there's guys in this league where they shy away from the contact. They'll do anything not to draw the foul. This kid is the opposite. He is so comfortable in contact, drawing contact. It's almost like he feeds off that contact, and I think that's what's really made him so much fun to watch and made his game so valuable. Yeah, he's super fun. Like, that's the thing. You watch him, you see the, the enthusiasm, the passion, the, the speed, the aggression, the, all he shows. It's been great. And one of the things we've always heard about with, with Ben Simmons' potential trades, well, they'll need to get a point guard back. But again, that changes the calculus now where you go, okay, could Maxi be a fill-in guy? But now you look at it and go, no, nah, he's actually like an NBA starting caliber point guard. So we can just get whatever the package is that suits what we need on the perimeter, getting perimeter bodies in there versus we have a guaranteed defined need for a point guard that that is going to be really interesting to see how this does change the end result in terms of um a return for ben simmons but let's talk about that ben simmons issue um we had some rumors last week from former host of locked on 76ers keith pompey saying that there was a discussion perhaps that the philadelphia Sixers were interested in james harden i don't think we need to worry too much about that one just because I don't think the Nets are doing it for a start, but there was an interesting Jeremy Grant one. Of course, he started his career in Philadelphia. What have you heard in terms of perhaps the Pistons engaging on that? Is there any hope of maybe uh, Sacramento changing their tune now with the firing of Luke Walton? Who do you think 
is in the lead in the Simmons sweepstakes or more, more maybe is the Jeremy Grant one, is there anything, any momentum towards a move like that? Let's start with the Detroit Jeremy Grant one. I don't think that there's really any momentum there. I mean, with the people that I've talked to, yes, the Pistons did engage in talks with the Sixers, but this was not, you know, this week. This was not something that was recent. And they did engage in talks about Grant. But from the people that I've talked to, this is not something that the Sixers are currently interested in. Then you go to the King side of things. This, I think, is very interesting because you have Luke Walton, who just got fired on Sunday from Sacramento. Before that, you have the Kings saying that they don't want to give up a guy like Deer and Fox or like Tyrese Halliburton in a trade, right? That those are kind of the guys off limits. Well, if you're the Sixers and you're looking at the roster, those are the guys that you want, right? You want either a young guy with great potential if you can't get that all-star player, um, or you want a guy like Darren Fox. And now that Luke Walton's been fired, I think that that's kind of the first domino to fall in the trade talks. And I think that this is probably what GM, or excuse me, Daryl Morey is talking about when he's saying that it's a waiting game because things change when you fire a head coach and the guys that potentially were no longer off limits could potentially be on limits, right? So I think that there could potentially be moving forward some momentum to these Kings Sixers trade talks. And if the Sixers can't get, you know, an all-star right now caliber guy, I would think that Maury would be more open to a younger guy like Halliburton as an example that you have much more long-term potential with, but that you can also pair alongside Joel Embiid right now because he's a phenomenal combo guard. He is, but that takes us to the next part of this, Serena, Joel Embiid. We haven't seen him since the 6th of November. We are currently recording this on the 21st of November. What's the, the latest? When is Joel scheduled to return from his bout with COVID? Well, right now he does not have a scheduled date to return, unfortunately. Um, the Sixers have not ruled him out for this road trip. However, from my experience in covering the team, I don't see where it makes sense that they would fly him out to maybe play the last game of the road trip when the Sixers are going to be back home. Um, what is it? Something like the 27th, something like that. Yeah, next Saturday. So, yeah. To me, it makes much more sense for them to wait that one out because also Joel Embiid isn't Tobias Harris. He isn't Matisse Thibel. He's a guy that has to really, really, really work on his conditioning to get to that level. And we all know what the side effects of COVID are. So to me, to fly him out to make a game on this road trip, even if he has the two negative tests for COVID, which we have not heard that he has, um, that to me seems pretty unlikely. So I would guess, but that's just a guess for me that it's not until the Sixers are back at home. Yeah, that would make sense. It wouldn't. It wouldn't make a huge amount of you know, even logistical sense to fly him out for that one game uh, against the the Warriors on Wednesday, even if he's uh, ready to go. Because again, he's going to play limited minutes. He has to reintegrate to practice and get conditioning up, and then having that full week to prepare to come back on the Saturday. 
I think would make a hell of a lot of sense. The Sixers have somehow kept their season afloat without Embiid, without Thibel, without Green, without Harris, without Simmons, and getting all these guys back over the next couple of you know, weeks is going to be a key for them to push back up to the top of the Eastern Conference. Of course, Serena, you'll have it covered for us all over on the Locked On 76ers podcast, and people can go and check you out over there. Thank you for coming on Locked On NBA, and I'm sure we'll talk to you more in the future. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for today's show. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And we're also on YouTube. Go and find us over there. Thumb up the video, subscribe, and find all of your favorite shows right across the Locked On Podcast Network, also including Locked On Bets. So if you're looking for betting advice, Locked On Bets has all of the answers for you. They are going live five days a week. So check out the Locked On Bets podcast. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.